1: podcast about archaeology anthropology and our shared human past i'm anna and i'm amber and here we are another year another april fools
2: episode this time let's take advantage of the fact that we are halfway to spooktober as a little bit of a treat a little treat let's reach into the cabinet and pull out the dusty box of creepy pasta and talk about curses ghosts museums
1: more like boozeums I assume this means that you're about to read me an article from a satirical website? No, not this year.
2: Absolutely not. These are all reputable sources this year. Amazing. Yeah. Our first stop on this semi-spooktober episode brings us to the United Kingdom in the Manchester Museum in Manchester, where (laughs) belligerent ghouls run the schools. Who run the world? Ghouls. No, no. Don't step on my Smiths reference. You know, I didn't get it though, so... (laughs) Here's. I was just trying to contribute. So you know the Band Here's the Smiths. I know Do you know about. the Band of the Smiths? Do you know Morrissey? Yes, I know Morrissey. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I, I see you
2: know his work.
1: It's just I, I heard that song <laughs> once on the radio, and it's been stuck in my head since. <laughs> I never <a> turned on truck. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Okay. Starting off. Okay. Great. Okay. Well. Are they from Manchester? They are. Okay. Manchester's do, greatest export.
1: According to Do Manchester. girls run the schools?
2: No. Or do belligerent run ghouls run the, run the schools? Oh, that's actually a lyric. That's a lyric. Yeah, it's in the headmaster ritual. Very well. Um, I, I like looked I was trying to find the right Manchester reference from the Smith songs. And so I found myself on a like Morrissey like discussion board. And it turns oh, out it's no. populated by Morrissey, just like multiple like just everybody was so rude to each other and like pompous. And I was like, is this is is this what's waiting for me? is does does the arc of Smith's fandom bend toward being horrible? I
1: don't know. Uh, it seems like that's a future you can consciously avoid. Oh, God, I hope so. Well, let's, let me this read a bit. <laughs> wants, so.
2: Let me read a bit from a story in the Manchester Evening News with the, with the headline, video, The Curse of the Spinning Statue at Manchester Museum. An ancient Egyptian statue has spooked museum bosses after it mysteriously started to spin around in a display case. The 10 inch toe relic, which dates back to 1800 BC, was found in a mummy's tomb and has been at the Manchester Museum for 80 years. But in recent weeks, curators... Curators? Curators. Curators. But in recent weeks, curators have been left scratching their heads after they kept finding it facing the wrong way. Experts decided to monitor the room on time-lapse video and were astonished to see it clearly show the statuette spinning 180 degrees with nobody going near it. The statue of a man named Neb Senu is seen to remain still at night, but slowly rotate around during the day. Like Anna's doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Egyptologist Campbell Price, 29, in 2013 said, quote, "'I noticed one day it had turned around. "'I thought it was strange because it is in a case, "'and I'm the only one who has a key.'" i put it back and then the next day it had moved again we set up a time-lapse video and although the naked eye can't see it you clearly can see it rotate on the film the statuette is something that used to go in the tomb along with the mummy mourners would lay offerings at its feet the hieroglyphics on the back ask for bread beer and beef which is what's uh, carved in the um above anna's door and yeah
1: mm-hmm. bread, <laughs> beer and beef the three b's i also have a tattoo
2: Like three interlocking bees. (laughs) It's a full back piece.
1: (laughs) God, how awful! All right.
2: In ancient Egypt, they believed that if the mummy is destroyed, then the statuette can act as an alternative vessel for the spirit. Maybe that is what's causing the movement. End quote. Yeah, which like I don't know. I don't know if sometimes Campbell Price's words were misconstrued.
1: Right. Maybe he was joking. Like that time I said, you don't find a lot of preserved Neanderthal tongues as a throwaway comment. And it ended up in the New York Times. That's gold. (laughs) Type, 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 So if you do watch the video, which will be in the
2: show notes, you can clearly see little Duder doing a bit of a hokey pokey during the day. So, um. So, and usually he turns 180 degrees until his back is to passersby and then he stops. Maybe he's shy. (laughs) No, or he, no, but, or he's turning around going, (laughs) beef? Like that, that's sort of like what was implied by that, that quote just being like, eh? The oldest, Eh? where's the beef? Known to man. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so when neb Senno went viral several people stepped up to provide possible explanations the british tv physicist and actual um, physicist. i know i don't know why i wrote it like that like no he brian cox is a physicist not the actor yeah he is a physicist who is on tv and yes. like is a, is like oh like he's a, he's a popular well, physicist. science communicator yes. yes so he chalked it up to quote well, no. He chalked it up to something called differential friction, where two surfaces—the stone of the statuette and the glass shelf that he's he's on—cause uh, a subtle vibration, which jostles the statuette around. And so he's like, "Doo doo 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 doo."
1: Seems like that could be easily tested by maybe putting, you know, like a little bit of foam or something between well, him and the yeah. So shelf. Yeah, and then
2: I'm going to read a little bit from an article from Live Science about mm-hmm. about this. So uh, there was Brian Cox's theory, um, and then there's Paul Doherty, who, a uh, senior scientist at the Exploratorium in San Francisco, uh, in <laughs> believes the statue's movement isn't caused by any supernatural force, but by something quite ordinary, vibrational stick-slip friction, sometimes called stick-slip vibration. So okay. as... Doherty told Live Science, if the glass shelf on which the statue rests, on which the statue rests, vibrates even slightly, quote, the vibrating glass moves the statue in the same direction, causing it to turn around. So an everyday example can occur when someone uses an electric blender on a kitchen countertop. So the vibration of blender can cause like your coffee mug to sort of walk across the countertop. So to wrap a statue its way
1: across. The- yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and so um, uh, the article reads. But why would the statue stop moving after turning 180 degrees? Uh, Doherty believes the statue stops turning because it's asymmetrically weighted. "Quote: One side of the statue has more weight than the other side." And quote: yes, That's that's
1: what asymmetrically weighted means. Yes.
2: You know what? <laughs> <laughs> after turning around on the shelf, the statue's uneven bottom reaches a more stable position and stops turning. <laughs>
1: You want to talk about your wobble stool? Speaking of uneven bottom. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get it. Um, I get, I get it. So, no. um, so, um, Besides the footsteps, besides the footsteps of passing museum visitors, the source of the stick slip vibration, um, Doherty, which that's so Brian Cox was like, it's probably people walking by during the day. Like it's not moving at night, but it does move during the day. What's the difference with people during the day? Um, And so um, Doherty suggested that it could not just be. People moving around. It could also be a trolley that goes by during the day, or like a train that passes by, and or even if like the
1: building's HVAC unit or something causes, so there's like a low hum from some
2: yeah, like I mean, like in the building. If, if like if the case is abutting um, a wall that has ductwork in it, like in the HVAC yeah. system, it, so it's something that could have 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 changed, um, and so that's so it's not. It's not possessed. It's not haunted. It's not. It's not cursed. Um, But Campbell Price's comment about the statuette possibly serving as an alternate vessel for Neb soul if his preserved body had been destroyed got me thinking. So if museums are haunted, and by that I mean considered haunted by workers and visitors to enough of a degree that they attribute their experiences to supernatural actors, um, why might that be? So is this something analogous to the phenomenon we discussed in our Indian burial burial ground trope episode? Is this like a product of the anxieties that come with participating in, or at the very least enjoying the outcomes of the inherently destructive practice of archeology? span Is it tied to sort of uh, an awareness of the colonial forces that enabled
1: it? I don't know, like is that? I have an adjacent theory. Which is that things from other places where the average museum visitor might not be culturally aware or might not be, you know, the readiness to ascribe something supernatural, I think, is easier to do when it's a foreign object. Um, and I don't know if it's because we're kind of taught that from popular media and it all does kind of tie back into the Indian burial ground idea, um... But, you know, just sort of transposed onto other, and not Indian burial ground, but like, you know, you went and disturbed the sacred place of this culture. And so now retribution comes back upon you. Like, that, it's the same kind of idea, just...
2: Yeah, and so specifically with, like, this case of something that, you know, Price says, well, if the mummy is destroyed, the statuette can house the soul. Like, is this sort of a... A tacit like awareness that it probably was like
1: destroyed, destroyed. Yeah, and, maybe, and so yeah. is it like is this um yeah I like he might have just meant it as like a teachable moment just like here's a fact about what these statuettes were for
2: <laughs> yeah i don't i don't but it is something that um i i think that i think that like irrespective of whether he he like has if he believes that like nips his soul is in that statuette um there is something that sort of informs his relationship
1: with this material and these materials that this is... um, And and the fact that the journalist picked up on that and decided to include it, you know, the idea of mummies and mummies curses and objects associated with Egyptian tombs being dangerous or cursed in some way has been around for 100 years or more. So Mm -hmm. it's certainly... In everybody's sort of pop culture subconscious,
2: yeah. Let's take a quick break, and when we get back, I'm going to do a little bit more philosophizing about the ghosts that stalk our museums.
1: Mm.
0: It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website CulturoMedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Kulturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's CulturoMedia.com for all our live events and more. KulturoMedia.com.
2: This side of the break. Um, I'm flashing back to college me who tried to look smart and worldly by reading The Economist in airports. Um and now I just scroll past The Economist on Twitter and think, Ooh, cringe take. Um, but I've been following them for 13 years. So like am I supposed to just stop now? Like I don't know, I probably could, but You could you could taper (laughs) taper off. (laughs) selectively mute um mm-hmm. so anyway ghosts not just ghosts of my teenage self um so a ghosts
1: of the economist a um
2: 2020 essay in their 1843 magazine um and for ended in 1843 or something no why don't you um why don't um, you read that oops, comment about oops, read me that oops. comment that, uh, at the bottom of the essay about 1843
1: magazine published since September 1843 to take part in a, quote, severe contest between intelligence, which presses forward, and an unworthy, timid ignorance obstructing our progress, end quote. What? I don't like that. It? It seems rude. So, so this was
2: there was a long-form essay uh, by Killian Fox, uh, which explores the subject of haunted museums, and... Um, specifically in what I can only imagine ranks pretty high on the list of places with the most wrecked vibes. Um, <laughs> yep. And the um, speaking
1: of places where foreign things end up and might yeah, be cursed.
2: Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to read the, the headline and then like the, like sub Um mm-hmm. Are ghosts haunting the British museum? No. Anna inexplicable noises spectral sightings sudden drops in temperature something strange is going on at the british museum as the clamor over colonial restitution grows killian fox investigates the collections restless objects um and so before we get into this if we're gonna talk about the clamor over colonial restitution
1: as the economist put it um it just sounds like a bunch of a man that's very dismissive <laughs>
2: Um, so yeah, so if we're going to do that. We've got to mention the work of Alice Proctor. Let's, um, uh, so Alice Proctor is a great follow on Twitter and also runs the, the site and the on a long hiatus podcast, the exhibitionist. Um, and so Alice Proctor does like uncomfortable art tours. I think we've talked about her work before, Um uh, but, uh, she's got a book, check her out. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of her work. She, she talks a lot about the, the need of, of the need for colonial restitution. And, and she's, she's sort of a specialist in museum studies and sort of the, the context in which um, objects are displayed or not displayed. Um, And so, Uh, I recommend That you read this This long form essay It's very interesting It's very beautifully written Um, But some of the things That happen That they talk about In terms of like The ghosty things um, the uh, Doors opening On their own accord Like in the Sutton Who room Sutton Um, What? (laughs) Jeez Um, And so like Lots of doors opening Like and And so there's CCTV everywhere Can't just be A drafty building
1: Nope (sighs) Anna (laughs)
2: <laughs> well why. the door was closed and latched and it opened so then so that's a little spooky um, yeah and so uh cold spots such as around the Lamassu, um the the human the,
1: the winged beardy liony the, guys the human headed winged lions that's so yes, I said i
2: just wing and beardy liony guys yeah um so that's in the Assyrian collection so having like cold spots there um and like orbs that were showing up like mm-hmm. in CCTV um and their presence coincided with an exhibit that included a, a wrought iron gate from the Nazi concentration camp in Buchenwald um see how there'd be some yeah I'm not gonna make a joke there some energy some like like mm. Mm -hmm. oppressive energy that comes with that um check it out uh but there's lots of spooky things in there that are going on um and there's a um there's a guy uh his last name is angel who runs um like basically like ghost tours of the british museum oh fun yeah and 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 um also um has a really cool approach to it about like wanting to talk to like in bringing to the public the stories and experiences of the people who work at the British museum that you would never see. So like the custodial like staff, yeah. the security staff, like the, the folks that are like actually like working there every day and who have a relationship with this material that's different than sort of the, the head of the department that like gets to like do talks and, and sort of be a more visible presence. Um, so I'm going to quote a little bit, um, From the essay, when confronted with the plethora of ghost stories from the museum, an obvious interpretation is that they are manifestations of disquiet about the institution's heritage. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock, an American scholar who writes about the supernatural in the arts, reckons that hauntings are often observed when official narratives repress, quote, an untold story that calls into question the veracity of the authorized version of events, end quote. Yet Angel hasn't noticed any guilt or anger among the employees he's interviewed. Most of them seem comfortable with the objects under their watch. He's heard a few stories that deal directly with illicitly acquired objects, such as the Caryatid in Room 19 that Lord Elgin that Lord Elgin tore from the Parthenon. According to legend, the graceful marble statue could be heard weeping inside her crate as she was shipped to England. But these tales came to Angel from outside the institution. And I want, I want to read the end of this essay, because it got me. Okay, it really got me. On my last visit, after spending a morning watching couples take selfies next to the mummies, I began to imagine how the British Museum might appear to the objects themselves. In the great court, I considered the two giant quartzite heads of Pharaoh Amenhotep Pharaoh III over 3,000 years old. Then I turned around to see what they were looking at with such infinite composure, a display of popular history books and mini umbrellas for sale outside the museum gift shop. In the Assyrian gallery, I marveled at the stone reliefs of Asher II, king of Assyria from 883 BCE to 859 BCE. His standard inscription, which he had carved across each wall panel in his palace, makes Shelley's Ozymandia seem self-effacing. Can I ask a question? Yes.
1: Is that standard inscription in the context of like a battle standard or just like, that's what he wrote on all his reliefs? I think it's the one that's like primarily associated with him okay so standard in the sense of usual yeah not in the sense of like
2: okay yeah just curious thank you So he refers to himself as, quote, the king who acts with the support of the great gods and whose hand has conquered all lands, who has subjugated all the mountains and received their tribute, taking hostages and establishing his power over all countries, end quote. Today, his inscription hangs in a pokey room more than 2,300 miles away from where it was carved in stone. But at least the Assyrian king's 2,900-year-old declaration still receives widespread attention. The overwhelming majority of the museum's collection, around 99% of it though much of it comprises stones flints and other fragments lies in storage hidden from the curiosity admiration or perplexity of the general public angel would love to take a closer look but securing access is tricky he's working on it for now millions of objects remain in the dark save for an occasional glance from a departmental assistant or the nightly ministrations of security guards who switch the lights on for a brief moment to make sure nothing is out of place before closing the door and continuing their rounds Angel says, down there, things just stew in their own juices, indefinitely, forever.
1: Yeah, I think museums that have sort of these vast collection annexes are really missing out in in an opportunity to show things to the public. Just yeah know. it's it's well, sort of melancholy
2: and and to, and of course that's why i'm attracted to this topic uh yeah, but just well. you know something that to kind of put a button on this uh, around you know and also like how i tried to like preface haunted because mm. i think that these are very haunted spaces because if you think about not even really getting into the topic of um do ghosts exist no, well, definitely not getting into that topic because I'm not even I'm not even like I'm not even thinking about it in terms of like the actual like existence of ghosts. It's sort of like okay. because you can be haunted without a ghost being there. In fact, one could argue that all hauntings, all people who are haunted are not haunted by ghosts. Like That's that's not what's doing it. Of Even um, sidestepping the issue of, you know, um, disturbed graves. Or um, having human remains on display, anything like move stepping aside from that, which is a completely separate issue. Um, just thinking about all of the lives that are have been touched by the things that are in museums and just all of the experiences. And there's so much around, um, there's, there's so much like ceremonial stuff or ritual stuff, stuff imbued with significance, like a lot of things like stick around from generation to generation because they're important because they have some kind of sentimental value. And so if you're just thinking about, um, the, the importance and sort of, um, I, th- I think that there's I think that there's room for even the most um, skeptical person in terms of you know whether things carry residual energy or whether you can that there whether there are sort of anything like stepping aside from that like there is like an undeniable heaviness around some topics. There's an undeniable like poignance of, uh, around other topics, and that's sort of what makes. That's sort of what makes like studying the ancient world and studying the past and studying other cultures, sort of what drives that is the sense of, of wanting connection, mm-hmm. of, of wanting understanding. Yeah, so. And so I, th- I think that um, I, yeah, I just, I really loved this, this essay uh, and, and thinking about what is it like to be an object and just thinking about like when this thing was dropped like what was it like when it was made or when it was made and when it was was used or when it was lost or you know any of these things and like thinking Mm -hmm. about like any burial
1: histories yeah yeah,
2: and like any any burial one could assume comes with some degree of grief and of course and, and so one hopes it's not glee you know yeah yeah and so just like thinking about like there's a lot of emotion behind anything that humans do and so i think it makes a lot of sense that you would
1: feel something and 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 sense something and and if we're saying that that sort of connection to even if you don't yourself come from that particular culture you're still a human being and so even if you are not connected to an object itself, you could still sort of register its importance, especially in the museum context where you're often told, you know, there's often placards and things that that give you that context and help you understand why this was important to the people who made it and used it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But let's have some fun. All right.
1: I like fun. (laughs) And now... Grab your buddy and your flashlight and make sure you go to the bathroom before we leave because it's time for a tour of haunted museums. Yay. But like Everybody. But like fun haunted, not like the not like, like colonialism haunted. I mean, also that.
2: Like like Amber crying in the Syrian reliefs room haunted.
1: Not like that. No, no, no. This is a spooky story part of the podcast. So our first stop is San Francisco and the bell tower of the San Francisco Art Institute. The tower is an alleged hotbed of paranormal comings and goings, so much so that they've cordoned the tower off from the public. Can't go there. Don't try. The first significant occurrence came in the 1940s. A student needing to pay for his schooling took a job as a night watchman, and, pinching pennies, worked out an arrangement to live in the tower as well. One night, the student reported hearing what he believed was an intruder running up the stairs. Alarmed, he prepared to bludgeon the invader. Sure. But when the door swung open, no one was there. Nevertheless, the footsteps continued out to the observation deck. Following this incident, the institute received intermittent reports of unusual activity, but the ghosts settled down. At least for a while. Is it possible that they just had squirrels? I don't know. Don't Disturb the Dead is horror movie one o one. Nevertheless, in the 1960s, the school went ahead and began renovations on the bell tower. Supernatural reprisal is said to have commenced in the form of disembodied screams, destroyed equipment, and falling objects. Construction workers complained of many unsettling events, with the company ultimately quitting the job. While the bell tower has been largely off-limits, the school has allowed psychics to perform occasional seances on site. One psychic claimed to have had a vision of a graveyard at the base of the bell tower, which might just be true. According to research, the graveyard was built over following the 1906 earthquake. So, maybe. Mm. Next? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Next, it's a hop across the U.S. to Washington, D.C. and the Smithsonian Institute, where the founding donor, James Smithson, is said to tootle around the administrative building that's where the fun is. This starts to make a lot of sense when you learn that Smithson's remains have been interred at the museum since 1904. Although he never, as a living person, went to America. Weird. Smithson's frequent. We'll get there. Smithson's frequent appearances were supposedly causing such a ruckus that in 1973, his remains were briefly disinterred for investigation. His skeleton was, in fact, still safely in its coffin, though that's to say nothing of his spirit yeah like also why yep why would you why would that be the solution Mm, just to check just checking just checking excuse (laughs) (laughs) other motives well other motives for the disinterment might have been to search for documents rumored to have been buried with him but who's to say it's just another nicholas cage film waiting to happen no The English Smithson died without ever visiting the United States, despite his eagerness to help fund the new institution. He was buried, for the first time, in Genoa, after he passed away there in 1829. But, attempting to right that perceived injustice, Alexander Graham Bell, whom nobody had asked to do this, arranged to have his body exhumed and brought to the U.S. in 1903. (laughs) No one asked him. Meaning that Smithson has been exhumed not once, but twice.
2: You're allowed to just do that? I guess if it's
1: 1903 and you're Alexander Graham Bell, you can do what you want. Smithsonian enthusiasts never seem to want to leave. Wow. As early as 1900, (laughs) the Washington Post mentioned sightings of Spencer Fullerton Baird. Let me try that again. Spencer Fullerton Baird, the museum's first curator, seen wandering the museum's hall. Another regular. God, I love this name. This name the famed is so good. Paleontologist Fielding B. Meek. God. So had good. lived in one of the museum's castle towers with his cat and died there in 1876. The cat is still there. Mm. I'm sure the cat, I mean the cat's uh, never mind. Other I know the cat I know
2: the cat's dead. It's okay.
1: Okay. Other sightings <laughs> include the explorer Emile Bessel, Bessels, and Secretary Joseph Henry, both lifelong devotees of the institution. Spooky place. Finally, we've got a story from the Cleveland Art Museum where the ghost of Monet seems to have made an impression. Oh, no. Get it? Because he was an impressionist.
2: In Cleveland? You know, Monet. Did Alexander Graham Bell also (laughs) dig him up and send him to Cleveland?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Peut-être. While curators were busy finalizing the installation of the Cleveland Art Museum's 2015 exhibition, Painting the Modern Garden, Monet to Matisse, the famed Impressionist painter of Water Lilies himself appears to have paid an unexpected visit considering how much of themselves painters put into their paintings i could see like it checks out with the lore and also with just sort of our own what we've established as our idea of hauntedness just sort of personal connection to some mm-hmm. someone that's no longer alive i can see how a painter a painter's ghost could follow their works sure or i could see how you as like
2: a curator would like f- feel like you were going to do it wrong and that like the ghost of Monet was Monet standing on the like, balcony over crooked <laughs> crooked
1: <laughs> on the balcony overlooking the galleries stood a man with Monet's characteristic salt and pepper beard and bowler hat a photo of the figure was snapped by the museum's director of design and architecture Jeffrey Strian showing the illusory artist just above a strikingly similar vintage photo of Monet and it, the photo is available we'll have it linked on the show notes Boy, do these people look similar Very fun. The Cleveland Museum claims the sighting is the real deal. Soon after the story emerged Caroline Guskett Caroline Guskett I don't know Caroline Guskett, communications director for the museum asked the Cleveland plane dealer what are the chances someone looks like that and happens to be at the museum the day we are finishing installation okay but like
2: <laughs> she like no
1: really what are the chances <laughs> yeah like it was sure a, a good faith present. question yeah sure. Besides Monet, museum, vi- museum visitors from the afterlife have included the former museum director, William Mathewson Milliken, spotted sporting a tweed jacket and wandering the oldest sections of the museum. A likeness of the subject of Jacques-André Joseph's portrait of Jean-Gabriel Dutille, Jean-Gabriel Dutille at the signing of the Treaty of Vienna has supposedly been seen gazing at his portrait. I remain... Highly skeptical, but very entertained. And now, I love this so much, a lesson on how to use Twitter as a force for good. Or if not good, at least fun. Instead of trolling, actuallying or just generally being a jerk on the tweet machine, try challenging museums to unveil the creepiest items in their collections. This is a real thing that happened, and you can find the tweets, if you're so inclined, by searching the hashtags, hashtag CuratorBattle, and hashtag creepiest object. So this was kicked off by the Yorkshire Museum, which has been hosting a series of similar cultural jousts each week. Uh, the competition began with a relatively tame submission from the York-based institution itself, a hair bun, still held together by a pair of pins found in the grave of a 3rd or 4th century Roman woman.
2: All so of these? It, my favorite parts of every one of these? are Like, <laughs> the captions? Yeah, Um, (laughs) they're all very like your aunt on Facebook captions
1: they're in all caps and (laughs) yep Um, and so a Yorkshire employee tweeted in all caps can you beat it (laughs) institutions readily rose to the challenge flooding the Twitter thread with sinister submissions Um, and so I'm going to just give you a sampling of some of the items that were posted. All of the artifacts submitted were, at the very least, hair-raising, and most seemed to invite more questions than they answered. A curator from the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford sent in a nail-studded sheep's heart intended to be worn as a necklace that could break evil spells. Also, just like, break your chest area. It's a very stabby necklace. Also very big. Sheep's hearts are not that small. Anyway... Also I feel like you've got team. bigger problems if you need if, to be if you need if to be you, wearing one if you've reached the point of nail-studded sheep's heart yeah. yeah also batting for team creepy jewelry I would like a team shirt please the nearby Ashmolean Museum submitted its own pendant carved to display a dead man's drooping face on one side and a rotting skull wriggling with worms on the other memento mori the curators behind the Clark Charm Collection then upped the ante with another gruesome form of ornamentation, bits of human bones and teeth. In two submissions, the team showcased a Homo sapiens finger bone cherished by a gambler who hoped it would bring good luck, as well as a dead man's dentition hung around a baby's neck to, quote, prevent convulsions brought on by teething, and quote. I think you're doing it wrong. What, a a, what is a fire?
2: What is a dentition? Is it just teeth? We're just teeth, talking about teeth, but it's not just like teeth—just
1: hanging teeth around a baby's neck, you know, for teething. Other entries were more bizarre than anything else. This is oh my, a, my so favorite so many, one. So one from the York Castle Museum featured a diorama of handmade models crafted from crab claws and legs, playing cards, and mining for gold. Oh, the it's way so the crab
2: weird.
1: claws do—it's so, so—it's so weird and creepy, and I love it.
2: Like, what would you do with that? Do you like? Put it on your mantle. It in your salon. Yes. And then people come over and they go, Oh. Mm. And then they like you put it in un- your
1: cabinet of curiosity. They're too, then- too
2: uncomfortable to like comment on it.
1: No, because they're Victorian. They you- no, and then they invite you to their house where they have like a worse thing. And then you sit around and smoke your pipe and drink your tea and go, Yes. Oh, sounds horrible. A submission posted by Clara Molina Sanchez, head of applied conservation at Historic Environment Scotland, showed Ooh. a whale's eardrum it's big meticulously painted to resemble a distorted human face like somebody one day <laughs> yeah no part of thing. it made sense to me i was just like i don't somebody found that thing and it was like the thing where you see a cloud and you're like doesn't that cloud look like but they were like no i need you to see what i see in this drum. let me paint it for you i've done it I've painted the wing. Oh no! Perhaps most unsettling of all, besides my accent, were submissions <laughs> featuring children's toys, dolls, and other humanoid figures in bafflingly skin-crawling settings. On this side of the Atlantic, the, the American one, I guess. Uh, a curator, yeah, this, one. F- north, this one. A curator from Canada's Prince Edward Island Museum sent in a cursed children's toy called Wheelie that was discovered no. inside the walls of a 155-year-old mansion. The institution tweeted, "It moves on its own. <laughs> Staff put it in one place and find it in another spot later on. I don't know. It's a little like a little sheepy guy on wheels. I thought it was pretty cute.
2: I don't She's know, like a little
1: fluffy. He so just like sheep on pops wheels. up. You like, well, that wouldn't be cute. But just in the picture, it was just like, oh, wheelie. When my dad was growing up, he had two. I think wooden toy trucks and creatively named them Trucky and Trucky Junior." <laughs> That's sweet <Yeah. laughs> Other contenders in this unsurprisingly rich category Were the fragments of several broken dolls Complete with disembodied glassy eyes From the Egham Museum in England The Toy Museum of Penner's Place's Piercingly red-eyed drinking bear That will sip from a cup For a donation of two pence Tuppence And a pincushion made in the shape of a pea pod And stuck with tiny children's heads there's also a photo of that one. Fittingly, the last of these entries was a fan favorite, though all are bone-chilling in their own way. <laughs> i got to send you this, the link for this article, both for the show notes, and so you can look at it and go, No! Among the best, worst submissions is the National Museum of Scotland's Original Mermaid. Yeah, in yeah. a series of tweets, the institution <laughs> writes that these taxidermy terrors are common in the world's museums as relics of sideshows. Rather than representing any natural-born creature, the objects were purposefully manufactured oddities, often created by sewing the back half of a fish onto the torso of a juvenile monkey. Or in this case, I think I don't think it was even a real monkey. I think someone might have seen a monkey once. Oh, yeah. That, that one wasn't. It? Make... it was not a monkey. No, it was um. A facsimile. Hey, remember that time we did an episode about stuff made from people?
2: Uh, yeah, I do. It was a wild episode. It was a wild episode. And also, um I um my writing group, my old writing group, somebody um, wrote in one of the, this guy who wrote like really out there stuff that I loved, um he wrote something about um somebody wanting like like wanting their autobiography like oh to be bound bound in their, own, in their skin. own skin or something and in my I comments that happened anna sorry follow along with me yeah. <laughs> i was like you're talking about james allen you're talking about james allen the guy who's like who has a, his book like wrapped in uh, his own right, skin right, in the Wait. boston athenaeum and they're like what are you talking about and i'm like you didn't know about that and you wrote this <laughs> and he's like He's oh, like writing it no. down. He's like, tell me more. And everyone else in the group is just like,
1: who are these people?
2: Like, how are they?
1: He's the was he he was hanged for murder? Mm, I think so. Yes. Okay. And then yeah. I remember now. Um, yeah. Wow.
2: And I they were just like, Who's that? I'm just like James and Allen. Come on. Don't you and, listen to my podcast? Don't you listen to my show? <laughs> <laughs> um but, hey, Richard, if you're listening, <laughs> um, that'll do for this year's April Fool's bonus episode. I hope you had some fun. I hope everyone had fun. I did. Um, consider this a trailer for an episode of Spooktober that I have planned for this year. Um, yeah, I really do start planning the next year's topics on November 1st. Um, so, Yep. This is a true. Yeah, this is, yep. there's something coming. Um, oh no!
1: <laughs> something spooky this way. It's behind oh. you.
2: Uh, but I hope that this was both spine and brain tingling fun for you oh. all.
1: Well, get those my brain, brain tingles. Yeah, get them tingles. We'll be back in your ears with fewer tingles, I think, in a few days for our regularly scheduled programming. Until then, you can find us on social media, uh, and we'll have those links. Maybe I'll put those links, some of those creepy, creepy crab claw links. Yeah, you can you can read, do some retweets. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I will. Absolutely. So on Facebook, you can find us at The Dirt Podcast. On Twitter, we are at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we're at The Dirt Pod
2: and all of those feeds plus our merch store and all of our archived episodes including the ones before we were on the APN um are over at our website at
1: thedirtpod.com thanks for listening everybody yeah happy april fools happy april fools <laughs>
0: This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.